This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. So we have Sarah Penna here today with us. Sarah is the head of talent management at Big Frame. Has anyone used the YouTube? Great. You guys would be familiar with what she's up to then. Um, I do try to bring in entrepreneurs from all um, areas of technology, nonprofits, um, and I'm especially excited to have Sarah come in here because TV is changing, guys. Um, you know, you're of that generation where you're sort of bridging the old and the new. My son's 13, doesn't watch very much TV at all, watches pretty much everything online. Um, so it's great to have someone who's literally on the forefront of that uh, huge, huge shift that's happening right now. So Sarah began her career working in reality TV. She created TV shows that were aired on Discovery, HBO, Oxygen, Bravo, a lot of different um, cable networks. She then moved over to Current TV, where she managed hundreds of producers um, and helped orchestrate the airing of over 100 documentaries, again, in the cable world. She was promoted, um, well, then she left and went to become the director of distribution and business development at a content creation studio that focused on um, scripted web series. So that was her move into the internet, from cable, traditional television, to internet TV. When she co-founded Big Frame, she was able to leverage both her brand management experiences as well as her production experiences, having actually created content. So Big Frame's an interesting company. They're a media company because they do create original content that's, that's aired um, on YouTube and other networks. But they're also a talent agency or a talent management firm. So they bring those two core skills together. Sarah has overseen the careers of a number of YouTube stars, um, and in fact, one of them is in the room with us today. It's not me. I know you guys all assume it's me. Um, I have about 330 views on YouTube. This gentleman has well over 332 million views on YouTube. Mystery Guitar Man. Uh, he is here, and also um, other notable acts that Sarah's been involved with are Daystorm, Daystorm Power. Um, he's had well over um, 180 million views, um, and you know, his, his career is on the rise as well. Big Frame is part of what's called YouTube's channel initiative. So about a year and a half ago, YouTube set aside a couple hundred million dollars, and they said, we're going to change the face of YouTube. It's not just going to be user-created dogs on skateboards and sort of those fun but silly um, difficult to monetize videos. We're actually going to put some money out there and give it to smart folks like Sarah and her team and help them and encourage them to create professional content to help move people from 
you know, sort of assuming that YouTube is, is this frivolous, trivial, two-minute video world into, um, you know, high-quality, high-production-value videos. Sarah is a speaker in demand. She has spoken at um, TubeFilter, Slamdance, as, as well as Digital LA. Um, and she's also an industry expert. She's been cited by Forbes magazine, Wired, TubeFilter, as well as uh, New TV. She came up here from LA, spent um, a good hour with a handful of students before this talk. Um, and I'm just telling you guys, it's hard to appreciate it when you're, when you're a student and, and um, you get a little bit more free time in your schedule. But to take a full day out of your schedule when you're running a startup that's going 900 miles a minute is, is not easy. It's a huge give. Um, and it's really a give that we should appreciate. Let's show her our appreciation now. Make sure I don't lose my, uh... is that okay, the audio? Okay. Um, thank you guys so much for having me. Um, it's really an honor to be here to talk to you about my experiences um, starting a company, which have been um, wide-ranging from you know the highest highs to the lowest lows. So um, I just want to start out with some embarrassing photos um, so you guys get comfortable with me. Um, when people would ask me when I was a little kid what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would tell them a waitress, um, much to my mother's chagrin. Because <laughs> at the time, I didn't know that what I really liked was serving people. I really liked helping people. Um, and you know, in my little uh, seven-year-old mind, that meant being a waitress. So um, this is me in the kitchen cooking and serving food. Um, and, um, you know, it was that love of, of kind of serving people that led me on, a, on my, um, you know, long journey to starting a company in management. Um, and also what I, I didn't really realize until I started a company is I actually come from a line of entrepreneurs. My um, mother and father started a little hardware company in Price, Utah. <laughs> and they turned it into a very, very successful construction company. Um, and I used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning with my father and go to construction sites. And um, from that young, very impressionable age, I learned that um, I, I really learned about integrity from them. Because while they, they aren't the biggest construction company in Utah and they've lost big jobs to other you know, bigger companies, the one thing that they always emphasized to me was integrity. Um, and because of that, they were able to secure jobs doing historical renovations, some of the um, most notable historical renovations in Utah. And I took that lesson of, of integrity and brought it with me as I started my company. Um, because while Big Frame is one of the biggest YouTube channel uh, networks, excuse me, um, we aren't the biggest, um, but we. The, when people start looking at the content that we're working on and we're creating, they say, wow, that's, that content is really amazing, and that to me is my goal. Um, and so I really treasure that lesson that my parents um, were, were able to, to bring to bring to my, you know, to my career. Um, and, you know, obviously money and notoriety and all of these things and keeping your company afloat, all of these things are very important. But the, the fundamental backbone of Big Frame is, is integrity. And, and that resonates throughout the people that I hire, um, the person I chose to co-found my company with, Steve, um, and also the kinds of content that we work and create. 
Um, so let's just take a quick um, snapshot of the state of online video just to give you kind of a broad overview of where we stand today. Um, you know, and, and this will be the only statistics slide I do, but I think it's important um, because it's, you know, it shows you kind of the massive scale and some of the hurdles that we face in online video as well as some of the great benefits to working in online video. Um, 800 million unique users visit YouTube every month. That is a huge number. Um, and some of my clients who are you know are now you know very successful YouTubers make up quite a number of those views. Um, Seventy-two hours of video are uploaded to YouTube every minute. I, I mean, every minute. That is unf almost unfathomable. Um, and how you kind of break through that clutter when you know that's that's a lot of content, obviously. Um, and how you break through that clutter is you know is one of the challenges that the, that the online video space um, faces, and something that Big Frame looks to solve. So um, you'll hear this a lot in people talking about starting their own companies. What's the problem you know, that we're trying to solve? Um, one of the problems that Big Frame's trying to solve is discoverability, and I'll go into that a little bit later. Um, three hours of every video is uploaded per minute um, to YouTube from mobile devices. This is an interesting stat because um, people are you know, walking around just uploading from their uh, mobile phones, and it's, um, mobile views are becoming a more and more important component of our business. Um, Last year, YouTube had more than one trillion views, or around 140 views for every person on Earth. Um, so, you know, uh, this is a disruption in the way that we consume media. Um, if that many people are, you know, there's only so many hours in the day, and if you know we're, that much content is being viewed online, it's definitely taking a, away from TV, or you know, it's disrupting the way that we consume media. Um, ad revenues are growing. That's good for my, for business. So um, you want the industry that you're in to trend upwards on the on the money side of things. Um, in May 2010, it was reported that YouTube was serving more than two billion videos a day, um, which it described as nearly double the primetime audience of all three major U.S. television networks combined. Um, just again, just really trying to hammer home the, the scale that we work with. Um, and the top five YouTube channels have viewerships rivaling the top five US cable channels. Um, now, some of the names that were, list, were mentioned um, in my introduction were, um, you know, maybe some of you have heard of them, maybe you haven't, but they are mega global stars. Um, they just haven't hit kind of the household um, name recognition that some of the you know, traditional celebrities have. Um, so let's see where we started. This is the very first um, video that was ever uploaded to YouTube. It's called Me at the Zoo. Um, it has about 9 million views. That's it. <laughs> um, and it's not a very good video, but it's a harbinger of things to come. It's a, it's a person at the zoo sharing their experience um, looking at an elephant. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's, it, the, the term vlogging didn't even exist back then, but that kind of style of, of, of sharing your experience and being in, you know, having an intimate look into what people are doing during their days, talking about your days, have created hu these huge celebrities like Shay Carl, who arguably, you know, um, is a reality TV star. He uploads a video every day for the last, he's uploaded a video every day for the last two years of him and his family. And that's it. They're 15 to 20 minute long videos of what he did that day. So this is sort of, th that video is kind of what started it all. Um, and now let's see where we are now. This is a video, um, oh, whoops, sorry. Okay. This is a video that was created for one of our YouTube, for our YouTube funded channel, BAMO. 
um, for a program called SYNC. It's a couple minutes, so sit back. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Hi, yeah. Is this the L Doubly Dose? Because uh, I asked a woman a few miles back where I could find the L Doubly Dose. She told me that it's the shit with the ugly fat lying oh, in front with I the hope swearing's okay. <laughs> Dog. 
on that kind of list. What are you doing here? I think you intend to traffic the LaPierre girl, and I'm here to shut you down. <laughs> Surely you must be aware of your situation. And what situation? You hear that? No, sir, and my hearing is above average. No backup unit breaking down the door. No military vehicles rushing to the rescue. No contingency plan. I'm not quite sure I'd put it like that. Gentlemen, there are more diplomatic solutions available. I cannot think of nothing more diplomatic than cutting off the head of my enemy and mailing it to his government. Where should I address this package? FBI? CIA? Black Ops? Well, I work for a more specialized division. There really isn't an address. A loved one, perhaps? Yes, but she wouldn't appreciate the gesture. Was that enough evidence for you? Ruiz has the girl. I don't think convincing us was ever the problem, but that last shell of yours could have been put to better use. Yeah? Like what? It was a reckless waste, Charlie. Yeah, not really worried.
go. I'm going to stop it there. Um, so that's all to show you a couple of, make a couple of points. Um, I apologize for the language, but um, uh, first of all, that was a, that's a 10-minute long video, and so conventional wisdom for online video is two to three minutes. Um, that video has well over a million views right now and is part of a scripted series that we produced. Um, it's called Sync, S-Y-N-C, if you want to go check out the rest and see what happens. Um, so to show you how we came from me at the zoo <laughs> to sync. Um, you know, I'm going, I'm going to explain a little bit about my background and, and it's sort of um, at my trajectory in my career and how it's um, mirrored a little bit about what, what's gone on in um, online video. Um, one of my favorite things to do is kind of watch people's expression change as they say, well, I don't understand. I didn't know, like, how does YouTube work? I didn't even realize that there were companies, you know, managing YouTube talent. Um, and, and I know that. I like that because I know that feeling of kind of um, the, the realization of, wow, this is something powerful. Um, so this, um, this slide kind of goes through my, my introduction. So um, like John said, I was working at in reality TV, but really where I started um, getting, getting an interest in online video was when I was working at Current. Um, it was 2007, um, which was a really incredible time to be at Current. Um, we were, you know, uh, the the company was 300 people, most of us in our early 20s. We had expense accounts. We were doing uh, big, lavish boat parties with champagne and caviar, and uh, we were changing the world, um, so we thought. Um, and really how we were changing the world was democratizing media. Um, and we were really focusing on this term convergence. It was sort of a mantra around the halls of current. The convergence of web to TV. And Current's version of that was you would upload a piece of content onto current.tv at the time. Um, a team of people would watch it, um, would approve it if it was acceptable to go up on the website. Um, and then if it was, if it was, if it passed that first test and it was that amazing that it went to TV, they would pay you like $700 to $1,000 to, to actually make it to TV. It would go through a round of editors. Maybe three or four months down the road, your piece of content would be on TV. It was very clunky, very time-intensive um, process. Um, I mean, can you imagine the, the stats I was telling you at the beginning? That would never happen if, if online video went down the path of what Current was originally doing, um, because you know, with 72 hours of content a minute, you can't have people watching and approving all of that. Um, obviously, there are processes in place to make sure that, like, you know, porn and stuff doesn't get uploaded to YouTube. Um, but with Current, it was really trying to, to make, it was a much bigger ask than just filming something on your phone and uploading it or um, and they, we were really trying to democratize media, but that lengthy process made it so that there were still gatekeepers. Us working at Current, we were the gatekeepers. We were the ones saying yes and no to your content, and it wasn't really a democracy, and it was frustrating, and everyone was very frustrated. Um, and, and quite honestly, this idea of convergence still hasn't really come to fruition, and um, that's another one of the challenges in online video is, you know, as we disrupt the, the mechanisms by which we consume media, um, how do we really, you know, converge these, these two worlds, the, the cable world, the TV world, the, you know, and, it, it, and it, my belief is that it's going to be to come from some form of technology. Um, I don't think set-top boxes are it. Um, tablets are getting closer, uh, but we really haven't truly realized the full potential of what convergence, the whole theory of convergence is. Um, 
so, but you know, that was um, current. It was it was a great introduction to how we can how online video is working. But nobody was watching, and I started reading a lot of articles. While all of some of the stats that I was sharing, obviously in two thousand seven, were very different. Two thousand eight. Um, well, there's all this online video being consumed, and it's not being consumed on current. So where are all these people watching online video? And I uncovered this world of YouTube, and it blew my mind. Um, this lovely screenshot is actually me um, as a zombie. <laughs> and um, that was my first introduction to really this YouTube world. I was, um, I was when I was working as the director of distribution for this company, I we had a, a director come in the office and pitch us a web series idea. And he said, you know, I'm directing this thing for this YouTube channel called The Station. You should come check it out. Um, so I went and I, I wound up like being a zombie in the very first video that went on the station. And the station eventually evolved into um, the biggest YouTube network called Maker Studio. Um, but there I met the biggest YouTube stars, Shane Dawson, Phil DeFranco, um, Kasim G, Shay Carl, all of these um, people. And I went back um, that night after cleaning all the zombie blood off my face. And I, I went and looked and these, these guys, even in 2007, had 10 of millions of views and um, you know now the biggest youtuber has over five million subscribers by the time a million subscribers was the biggest um, and I was just blown away and I knew immediately that this was uh, this was something big and massive and it was only going to get bigger and I wanted in um, and so I um, wound up becoming really good friends with the director, and he was friends with this guy named Phil DeFranco. The monkey picture is Phil's logo. Um, at the time, Phil was the fifth most subscribed YouTuber um, in the world, and he had just gotten a small grant from YouTube to start another channel, um, and he needed a producer. And so I... Um, got hired, <laughs> broke up with my boyfriend, moved out of my apartment, and um, changed and quit my job in 24 hours. So I was very committed to making this work, um, and I, you know, I realized that it was going to be very time-consuming. So I just needed to, like, you know, do that, do this, and really commit to it, and really, you know, f really figure it out. Um, and so I started working for Phil. Um, I worked in his apartment. We, I, I brought him his, you know, venti Earl Grey tea latte with five Splendas in the morning, and I shot for him. I edited. I, um, and I produced one of his this channel that he was starting, and it was called um, Like Totally Awesome, which is a great thing to have on your resume. Um, people really take you seriously. Um, that's why I had to start my own company. <laughs> my last thing on my resume was Like Totally Awesome. But it was um, it was a very successful channel uh, when it was up and running, and um, I wound up casting a couple um, now very big YouTubers in it, and, and and casting specifically this one YouTuber named Tobuscus in in like totally awesome show, um, and watching his views jump from just being in the show that I was producing really you know lit something you know it made me realize okay there's this collaboration there's audience development and there's there's money starting to come in the space brands are starting to get interested this all needs to kind of come together in one collective package um, and that's when I started my company um, so originally my company was called the cloud media um, and excuse me a second 
and um, I started out on my own um, and kind of instinctively felt my way through the initial six months of, of the company, um, choosing the name. I had a CPA who helped me you know, get incorporated in all of this stuff, but um, I'm an English major, not an MBA, so um, it was definitely based on, you know, a lot of, I had a lot of support, um, a lot of people kind of helping guide me through those first six months, um, and those were really, you know, as, as every company, the first couple months are very formative. I learned a lot. Um, we got an office, a little office space in Venice, and I hired my first employee, and I figured out how to do payroll, um, and I started signing clients, and that was a really amazing feeling of um, kind of cold calling some of these people and saying, you know, I know you don't know who I am, but <laughs> I've done these things and let me, you know, trust me and, and let me, um, you know, let me kind of help you and I'll show you what, I, I won't lock you into a long contract and just let me show you what I can do. Um, and for me, those first six months were not just about building up the business, but building up my reputation, um, which to me is very, very important. Um, I'm very, very meticulous about my reputation. And I think it's important as you start your company to think about that because it's not just about um, getting in there and you know being a bulldog and making all these tough decisions. And you, that's definitely an element of it. But there's another element of it that's gaining people's respect. And you just can get so much more done when you have people's respect. And that goes back to the integrity stuff that I was talking about um, at the beginning. Um, it's, you know, it's very, for me, I get a lot of clients who just, who tell me, you know, I, I might have better offers from other networks, um, but I just trust you and I really like you. Um, and I know that you've done great things with other YouTubers and that's a great, that to me feels like success. Um, when a client wants to sign with me because they feel, they know that I'm going to take good care of them. Um, and whether it's, you know, whether the company that you start or you work for, um, you know, sells clothing or backend software technology, keep, always keeping that in mind, I think is really, really important. Um, so I did the cloud media for a little over a year, and I just financed it based on the um, commissions I was taking from brand deals. Um, in that first year, just me alone, I did over a million dollars in brand deals. So I knew that there, and that was all incoming calls. Sometimes I would cold call, but the majority of it was incoming calls. So I knew that I had, I had selected an industry that was growing and growing rapidly, um, and I was able to kind of sustain myself and an assistant um, on this. But um, I needed to scale, and scale is something that you um, hear a lot once you kind of have the foundations of your company set up. Um, and I couldn't do it alone. So I brought on a co-founder named Steve Raymond. Um, it was a very interesting process finding a CEO um, and finding a co-founder. Since I had already established myself um, in the industry, um, finding a co-founder that would both respect that but also look at what I had built and know how to take it to the next level. Um, and I was very, very fortunate to find Steve. He had come from a lot of successful um, startups who had great exits. Um, um, and he also had most recently come from Comcast's verticalized ad network. Um, and so for me, the version of scaling came from creating a network. Um, what that means is that YouTube actually enables certain companies to build networks on top of their platform. Um, and that's what I, when I say we're one of the biggest YouTube networks, that's what that means. Um, so bringing a co-founder on was definitely an, you know, a, an intense experience. Um, 
but because, like I said, I'm an English major, um, it was nice to have somebody in the room who was an MBA and, and understood this and also, um, you know, had gone through the startup life before. I think um, one of the biggest lessons, because it can be very lonely as you're starting a company, um, and, um, you know, I definitely felt like I was all alone. These experiences that I had had only ever happened to me, which is totally crazy and, and not true. Um, and as I started talking to more and more people who had founded companies, um, I realized, you know, some of the mistakes I'd made and some of the the things that I had done right, you know, all, a lot of people had also experienced. Um, and one of those, um, one of those support systems was a startup incubator called Launchpad. Um, and we had a really wonderful experience there. I don't know how many of you are familiar with startup incubators, but um, I, I wish I had found them earlier because I think they would have been really helpful in the very early stages. Um, but we, but they, you know, they were very helpful. Um, and especially for me as my first startup, it was nice to have, you know, um, talks and, um, uh, you know, about term sheets and kind of helping go through all of that kind of stuff. Um, so, and, you know, also along with that, we, oh no, I'm losing my, okay, okay. Um, we, um, we changed the name and that was a, that was a really tough decision for me because I was very emotionally attached to the name, the cloud media. Um, but obviously it comes with a set of problems. One being that, you know, cloud, the cloud media is, you know, people think cloud computing system and that's not, not at all what we did. Um, and so um, we changed it to big frame and now um, my company is 20 employees um, and we closed a round of $3 million um, in May and we'll probably be going out and doing another round in January. Um, and that's, that's kind of the state of where we are. Um, you know, I think that um, a lot of, you know, uh, how how I've experienced starting a company, I think, was definitely a lot of instinct. Um, and I think that that's really helpful, no matter how much education you have. And it's very, you know, it's very important to have um, people, you know, do, taking classes like this, for example. Um, but ultimately, the times that I made mistakes were the times where I, I didn't go with my instinct. Um, and that's not something, that's only something that you can hone. It's not something that you can learn. Um, so, you know, and also the ability to fail. Um, I think that our generation is very, very scared of failure. I know I am. Um, and for me, the thought of failure was, I, it was almost unbearable. But when I accepted, okay, I might fail and that's okay, then I was, that freed me up to actually be able to go out and take these huge risks that I took. Um, and not, uh, you know, a, a certain amount of, of um, doubt is useful um, in making sure that you're not arrogant, but it's, it's also, you know, don't let doubt cripple you because I've definitely seen um, some founders let doubt kind of cripple them and they can't move forward because they're, oh, am I doing that? You can't, you will fail if you, if you doubt so much that you, you know, you paralyze yourself. Um, so just know that, you know, the worst thing, I wake up in the morning and say, okay, the worst thing that can happen is I close my company down. But you know what? I started a company and I did that and I did that on my own. It was something that I owned, I controlled and I did. And that's already a measure of success. 
Um, I think another really important piece of advice that I got was setting goals. I know that sounds really easy and kind of lame, but if you know what you want and you give yourself attainable goals um, that are short term. So I would say, you know, when I first started, okay, I'm going to give myself six months to keep this business going. I want to hire somebody in three months. I want to get incorporated in four months. I want to have payroll set up in five months. And then, and you know, you give yourself, okay, I can, I can move forward. I did that. Okay, what is my next goal? Also, you know, obviously want knowing what the ultimate goal is, whether you want your company to be purchased, whether you want to have such a big company that you're the company doing the purchasing, that's also useful, but that can change. Um, giving yourself very, very distinct set goals that are month to month or maybe six months in the future helps you kind of get up in the morning and know this is what I'm doing, this is exactly you know, what, I, what I'm going to do with my day. Um, also, um, keep a journal. I know that sounds kind of weird, but I um, definitely wrote down a lot of my experiences um, right at the beginning. And, so, and most of them were like the low lows, but it's also good to talk about the high highs um, because um, I go back and I read those. I'm like, oh, yes, I remember when I was in that place and it seemed really bad. And now I'm here and it feels really good. And, um, you know, in the beginning, the mistakes can feel catastrophic, but um, you know, being able to look back and reflect is really um, a useful tool to have. Um, also, when you became, become super, super successful and you want to write your book, it's helpful to have it all written down. <laughs> um, and then, you know, balance. I think that, um, you know, you, it is a lot of work to start a company or to work at a startup, even if it's not your own company. Um, but, but keeping a balance, like um, sometimes I'll take meetings with people and I'll tell them, like, let's go for a hike instead of meet at a coffee shop because, um, you know, I need some exercise. <laughs> I haven't been out of the house in a week um, or, you know, things like that. And remember that, you know, um, I, starting a company is more of a lifestyle. It's not a job. It is your life. Um, but if it's something that you love to do, it won't feel like that. And you can get up in the morning. You know, my, my, I do, you know, 14, 16 hour days. Um, but I, you know, I have been able to get balance in my life and it helps you also, you know, in, um, in running the company and keeping sane as it were. <laughs> um, so that's my story. I don't know if you guys want to, um, I have one more video, um, that I want to share. So why don't we watch that? It's a Mr. Guitar Man video since he's here. This is the one. Ready? And then you guys can ask questions.
Kind of fellas. Fake. Now <laughs> we know who's is who's. Is this yours? That was freaking awesome <laughs> as he yells into the mic. All right, so since we are uh, videotaping the Q&A as well, please grab a mic for your question. Who has the first question? Close this. So you said that, sorry, you said that your, uh, a lot of your corporate sponsorship initially came from people calling you. Yeah. And I was just wondering how, you, how they found you in the first place. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, initially, a lot of it was um, brands writing into the people's YouTube channels. Um, and eventually, when I started signing clients, I had them put my email or I created a business email and put it up on their YouTube channel. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to find people these days. So, um, and once I got a nice rapport, so I got, you know, Sony was our first big sponsor at Sony Electronics. We did, um, I think 18 videos with them. Most of them lived on their site, but, um, and then um, we did. We actually did a national commercial for Coke and McDonald's right off the bat. Um, and so when those um, kind of started coming up, and other agencies started seeing, okay, this is something that we should be paying attention to, they would try to find, um, you know, my clients and, through their YouTube channels. Um, now I, I have a three-person ad sales team, and they're doing a lot of. Um, they do a lot of outreach, um, and then people just know Big Frame now, and that's a really good feeling. So um, I I go and speak on tons of panels, and I have my ad salespeople speak on panels, and we we have a PR firm who um, gets us an ad age and all these places that the um, you know the advertisers are reading. Um, but yeah, at the beginning it was very like sometimes they would send us like tweets, <laughs> like literally have done brand deals based on tweets um, from a brand. So um, a lot of different ways and. Um, they, you know, the brands really like working with the YouTube talent because of influence, and that's something that I didn't talk a lot about, but something that we talk a lot about at Beg Frame, which is which is in the the power of influence. Um, you know, Joe, Mr. Tarman sitting in the back, um, who made that video that has over two million views, um, will tweet out something like "Hi, smiley face," and get hundreds of responses, and I think that's really powerful. <laughs> or like. Um, uh, we were speaking last week, and he he had you know he said write a haiku with these three words, and by the end of the talk we had you had like a thousand responses in an hour, and so it's um, that's the power of really being able to talk directly to your audience. Um, a lot of uh, of people will make videos, you know, Joe. A lot of his videos at the end he'll talk to his audience and say have them interact and and through that they gain trust and, and gain influence so um, obviously for a brand being able to influence an audience is um, is an interesting proposition so we've done a lot of those um, yeah hello hi oh, sorry that's okay I read an article prior to class about you and you quoted something along the lines that it's difficult for you at times because you're a woman um, I just wanted you to elaborate on then the struggles you go through as a woman in the business that you do, um, especially what's the biggest struggle and how you overcame that, and any advice to us women in this room? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, 
yes, it is still a struggle. Um, the enter entertainment industry is very male dominated, um, and especially as a young woman, um, it's you know sometimes it's hard to be taken seriously. I think that's my biggest thing um, is being taken seriously. I was starting. I basically invented a job that people didn't understand and didn't know existed. I was um, you know a young woman going into these huge companies, and they kind of they weren't used to seeing that, and and they and I wasn't taken seriously. And I think that 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 is a big struggle. And I think um, um, for all the the women, it's really about um, knowing exactly. Um, your goal in those meetings. So sometimes I would, you know, people would, I, I've been called honey, I've been called kiddo, I've been called crazy little girl, um, you know, and like really offensive, like really offensive stuff. Um, and kind of knowing how to react to that, because it, it, it hopefully it won't happen, but it, it does happen. So, um, you know, I, I also, you know, it does help that my co-founder is um, a 40-something-year-old man um, because I do bring him to some meetings, and um, it's just the reality of where we are right now. Um, and I hel he helps me close deals sometimes. And, you know, you just have to – it's not okay, but it's – you know, you have to know how to work within that system. Um, conversely, I will say, though, that um, – People are generally, you know, and this goes for everyone who's a young founder. Um, people are very impressed um, by young people doing big things. And I've had a lot of doors open to me because of that. Um, there's also a great community of female entrepreneurs in LA. And I've made a ton of really amazing friends and supporters. Um, and I've hired people out of these groups. So it's not all, you know, oh, you're a young girl. You're not taken seriously. And it's a struggle. There are definitely struggles. But there's also great opportunities. And I get to go and do really cool things because I'm a young female entrepreneur. So go and find those and just be kind of, you know, just be kick ass and people will appreciate it. <laughs> um, being an English major, what sort of things that you learned in your English courses were you able to apply to the business and entrepreneurial world? Yeah, so I was an English major and an anthropology minor, um, and I actually really appreciate it because I think um, the anthropology stuff helped me, um, you know, be able to relate to people. We, when I was in my anthropology classes, we had to, you know, learn how to interview someone, which I wasn't always very good at, and we had to publicly do a lot of public speaking, which I didn't always love, and now I really like. Um, and in terms of the English major, um, I think it's just a, a mindset of, you know, you can be more, much more analytic, analytical, very creative. Um, I think English majors tend to perceive the world in a certain way, and I, I really liked that. And I also think that it didn't, um, it didn't limit me. I think when you have a very specific major, um, like film, and, and not, to, not to say that that's not a good major, but I think if I had been a film major, I would have been limited to thinking like, um, oh, I have to go into film and TV. And so I'm glad that I, just, I had this you know, just overarching education that um, allowed me to be creative and kind of come up with my own thing. Uh, how dependent are you on uh, Google and YouTube, and how does that affect your business? That's a great question. Um, at the moment, I, I'm extremely dependent on them. Um, my business is very, very closely tied to YouTube. I talk to them at least once a week. Um, you know, all of my content creators right now are YouTube content creators. 
Um, however, we are expanding out of that because you know to be tied to just one platform as a business is is very um, is a very uncomfortable position to be in. Um, so that is one of the hurdles of not just my company but all of the YouTube networks. Um, uh, on the, again, on the on the other hand, we they support us. You know, by financing content, um, they're building a really amazing um, space in Playa Vista that uh, we're going to have access to. That's a production facility, um, so there are definite benefits um, to to being that closely tied to YouTube. But it is, um, you know, it is a very very close relationship. Um, do you think Google's plans for expansion into the television market will ever overtake the cable television companies? Um, I can't speak for Google. <laughs> Another reason being tied to them very closely. But I think, um, <laughs> you know, I think that... Um, there's always going to be an appetite for people to want to watch shows like Mad Men and um, Homeland and Game of Thrones. Um, I, I know that I actually have watched probably more TV. I don't have t I don't have cable, but I have probably watched more TV shows than um, I used to starting starting my company. Um, but I do think I think it's more about the ways in which we consume media. And I think that when YouTube and Google or somebody figures out how someone can tune into the big frame network or the maker studios network, then we're going to ha we're going to have the ability to actually you know it, it's going to start looking more and more like cable um, right. Right now, Google TV is is an Apple TV and these kinds of things. They're interesting. But I don't know about you guys, but I have I don't even have cable. I have five remote controls. I have a PS3, an Xbox, an Apple TV, and I just want to pull my hair out. I'm like, can can we all be in one? I have a laptop. We have iPads, Kindles. Like, oh my God, it just makes you want to pull your hair out. Like, why can't we get one thing like this size <laughs> um, where I can tune into the big frame network? Um, and that's my vision. I want that to happen. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, people are consuming more online video than you know than ever before, and I think especially as you know our generation and, and younger grows up, it's gonna, um, it's we're definitely gonna, people are gonna be watching TV less or in a different way, I guess. Um, so right now the current YouTube demographic is pretty young. Yeah. So does your company have plans um, to maybe reach other demographics like? Uh, Particularly older age groups. Yeah, that's a that's a another great question. Um, you know, there are some YouTube channels out there that are cooking, travel, mom content, um, and they're they haven't reached kind of the mega global scale that someone like a Mystery Guitar Man or Sync or um, Daystorm um, reach because you know. A couple of reasons. One, YouTube is very much um, geared towards a younger demographic. And also because YouTube right now is very much a cult of personality, where I am a huge Game of Thrones fan, I am also a Mystery Guitar Man fan. So on, on YouTube, when we start these channels that are not personality-based, it takes a little time for people to build up brand loyalty to them. And some of these channels geared towards an older audience are, are not as personality-based as the ones that are, are hugely popular. Um, but I do think that that will change. Um, we have a travel channel, for example, that's really high-end, really well-produced. Um, her 
her viewers are very, very highly engaged, and she can drive what little traffic she has in a lot of different ways. Um, but you just have to kind of shift your expectations if you're starting a channel like that. Um, for us personally, um, you know, it's not a huge play, the older demographic, even though you know, advertisers do seek it out. Um, as the industry shifts, we'll shift along with it and we'll adjust. If suddenly, you know, 45-year-old women become the biggest demographic, we'll, um, you know, we'll adjust to that strategy. But right now, what you saw um, from Sync, you know, our BAMO channel, which is our, our one owned and operated channel, um, you know, that's the kind of content that, that kids are watching. And I apologize about the language. I know your son is here. So inappropriate. I'm so sorry. He's never heard those words. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sarah, I have a, I have a question. Yeah. Um, Ill-formed as it might be, I'm not sure how intimate you know all the students would be about the power of the network. Mm -hmm. I know one thing that really excited me about Big Frame early on was that you were bringing folks that had kind of risen up on their own, but they got to a certain level. You were able to bring you know cross promote, bring them together. But then probably as important or more importantly, you were able to tell a brand, I can sell. Now you can sell a much you're not buying a personality, you're buying across a network. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we call it the circle of influence, and we've done this with a lot of different brands. Um, we, we are able, because we, we have such a robust analytics available to us um, from, the, from YouTube analytics, um, we're able to really target um, specific geographical locations, age, um, uh, male, female, and we can say to a brand, so we, I'll, t I'll give you a specific example. We did a deal for BBC America. They were relaunching Planet Earth, um, and they wanted to promote it on Earth Day. So we did four branded videos for them, um, and then we cut some of the we cut one of those down into a thirty second pre roll, and we sold that thirty second pre roll across our network. Um, and so we targeted the exact demographic that they were looking for. We used an influencer in the pre roll ad, which is the little ad that plays before the video, um, so that people were more likely to watch it because it's somebody that they like. Um, and we were able to, and then we also paid about fifty of our influencers to tweet and favorite and Facebook about the actual videos to drive traffic. And so it was a really, really nice integrated campaign where we could, um, you know, we could tap into that power of 150 million video views a month and, you know, millions of Twitter and Facebook followers um, and, you know, give the brand the awareness that they were looking for for that particular campaign. They wanted people to watch it, to, to drive tune in. Um, we also did this with a movie called Chronicle for Fox, um, and you know we we had we you know activated our circle of influence, and um, you know that that movie that they really only did online marketing for a little bit of billboard and stuff um, opened at number one against anyone's expectations, and we we were written up in um, Deadline Hollywood as the reason for it opening so big. Um, so it really shows kind of the power of once you once you have this network of of engaged. Um, audience what you can do with it. And the collaboration, I mean, that's something that I can't stress enough. What we do is help, you know, even um, some of our huge channels, um, we, we have them collaborate with other people to, to bring in new audiences. Hi. Um, I know in the beginning when you were starting your company, you said you, you faced a lot of um, challenges with the business side of things. Yeah. If you were to take things back, is there something you would do that to educate yourself beforehand, or how would you better do that if you were to take it back? Yeah, I mean, that's 
it's a hard question because I, I, I really like where we are now, and I feel like if, um, if I were to have taken the time to really educate myself on exactly what needed to be done, I would have, it would have, I would have been too far behind to do what I did now or to be where I am now. Um, that being said, it, it did cause some um, stress for me, uh, quite a bit of stress for me because um, having to figure all of this stuff out on my own while I'm still trying to build a business is, um, it takes a lot of time and a lot of stress. And I was, I was really alone. I didn't, um, you know, I didn't have a co-founder for a year. I had an assistant um, who knew way less than I did. <laughs> so it was, um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, <laughs> I would have been nice, um, but had I, I think had I taken the time to really, you know, like, okay, I'm going to, you know, write out the perfect business plan. I'm going to be very meticulous about it. Um, I probably would be too far behind um, because the space moves so fast. Um, that being said, if you're in an industry that is a little more established and doesn't move as fast as this one, um, definitely take the time to learn what you need to learn. Um, I was very fortunate in um, having some very good instincts. Um, early on, I remember I um, I got a call or an email from this guy. I honestly don't know how he found me, but he was like, I'm going to give you $100,000 for 25% of your company. And I was like, hmm, $100,000 would be nice right now, but 25, I watch enough Shark Tank to know <laughs> that, that, watch Shark Tank, it's great. Um, I, I, I made some fortunate, you know, I had some instinct there, but I think I wouldn't have even picked, I wouldn't have even returned his call had I had, you know, had I been better informed. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.